0: We're now beginning the divided kingdom with um, Rehoboam in the the south and Jeroboam in the north. And now because of um, some uh, infidelity and unbelief on the part of the people. But our text really talks about the king in particular. Um, We're going to see God allowing um, Egypt to attack Judah. So we're in 2 Chronicles 12 and 13. And because of the shortness of these chapters, I was, I have to say, quite tempted, even this morning yet, to tack on chapter 14, but I really don't think we're going to have the time. So, uh, we're in 2 Chronicles 12 and 13. So chapter 12 is the account of Shishak attacking Jerusalem. Do any of you recognize the name Shishak? Oh, I mean from movies and stuff. No, I mean from this movie in particular. That's Harrison Ford up there lifting the Ark of the Covenant. Yeah. Yeah. This, is, this is Raiders of the Lost Ark, the first of the Indiana Jones movies. That is the Lost Ark. Um, and in the movie, um, they, uh, they find it. Notice that they haven't bothered to cover it up, which by itself should be bad news, but in the movie isn't. Um, uh, uh, they got the dimensions right here, and the basic overall look of the ark is pretty good. I still think with that that remember that the box itself was wood overlaid with gold, but the cover was solid gold. That immense cover, and uh, I and I strongly think that it would have been quite top heavy. Um, uh, and the poles here, to me, don't look nearly long enough. To to lift. I mean, if that cover, which by the way, the the atomic weight and the general weight of gold is identical to that of lead. If you imagine lead, a lead cover that size, I don't know if two guys could, especially if look if you look at John Reese Davies on the on the right on the left there, he's not really. I mean, his face looks like he's lifting hard, but his hands don't, to me. Um. So uh, I yeah I don't know. Uh. Anyway. Um, it's, it's from that movie. In that film, and I didn't bring a clip or anything like that, but they, talk, they do mention when they're talking about what happened to the Ark of the Covenant, there is a question because up through the reign of Solomon, the Ark of the Covenant is talked about and described and mentioned and so forth. David has all kinds of trouble getting into Jerusalem. Solomon uh, finally uh, brings it into the temple. And then... It's never mentioned in the historical sections of the Bible ever again. Um, and it's not in Jerusalem today. It wasn't talked about as being carried off by the Romans, when they attacked. It wasn't talked about when it was carried when everything else was carried off by the Babylonians. Uh, so what happened to the Ark of the Covenant? That's a, a long historical question. And in this movie, um, uh, Harrison Ford's character mentions that it may have been carried off in around 930 BC by, it's just a little bit after that, by Shishak, the Egyptian pharaoh. That's our text today, is the attack of Shishak on Jerusalem. So let's get into the text, though, of the chapter. And I, uh, actually, there's something in the next chapter that makes me question not definitively, but question whether Shishak could have taken the ark because of something Abijah is going to say in chapter 13. So we'll, we'll, we'll come to that a little bit later. So let's just get into chapter 12 here. When Rehoboam, that's Solomon's son, had established his rule as king and had become strong, he abandoned the law of the Lord. All Israel went along with him. So normally what we're looking for is he sought the Lord, he went after the Lord, Here he abandoned the Lord. And what we heard at the end of the previous chapter was that for about three years, things went well at the beginning of his reign. Do you remember that? Um, And then now what happens in verse two here, in the fifth year of King Rehoboam's reign, Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem because Israel had been unfaithful to the Lord. So theologically, Why did Shishak attack Judah and Jerusalem? Yeah, God brought him. God brought him up or permitted him uh, to come up. And here's here's the verse from the previous chapter. They strengthened the kingdom of Judah and made Rehoboam, son of Solomon, secure for three years. Because for those three years, they walked in the way of David and Solomon. So in the fifth year, they're attacked. What happened in the fourth year? That's when he abandoned the Lord. This is kind of our chronology. Three years faithful, 930, 929, 928, or 27. And then he abandoned the law of the Lord around 926 or so. And in the the fifth year, the spring that would be, that's when the kings go out to war in the Bible, uh, especially this part of the Bible. So the spring of 925, that's our year, Shishak uh, uh, came up against Jerusalem because uh, Israel had been unfaithful. Um, what's the danger when a leader of a, of a group becomes unfaithful to God? The whole group might become unfaithful to God. Um, in, in our lives, what leaders have the most influence on us? The most influ- theologically, Spiritually. I'm thinking our parents, in many ways. Uh, we, you know, we, we ask our, our confirmation students, for example, our, our, what are they, 13, 14-year-olds? Um, uh, yeah, uh, uh, write a sermon summary every single week. And if you can't, if you're not there because you were sick or whatever, bring a, a note you know, from your parents, I was sick, and how many of our students... Uh, have to bring a note saying, we didn't go to church. You know, and should I get angry at the student? You know, because folks didn't drive him across town or from out of town to come to to worship. And the parents will say, oh, and the, the parents are pretty brash about that these days. Oh, we don't go to church. That's how they put it. Like they're almost challenging me. How can you expect this out of my child if we don't go to church? So what's our response? It's online, the the whole service is there. And if you don't wanna see the whole service, just the sermon is online. They can watch it live if they want to at at home, but still give a sermon summary. Um, Or if they go to grandma's church or something, bring something from there and uh, and fill out the sermon summary. That's only one small aspect of all of this. But our parents have a profound impact on whether or not we're gonna go to church for the rest of our lives. There's a statistic that was done, oh, um, it was Mr. Steenbach who brought this to our attention maybe 10 years ago, that, uh, uh, I forget if it was Gallup poll or whatever it was, but who or what what one factor uh, influences your church going for the rest of your life more than any other factor, it's if when you go to church when you're young, dad sits with you. Or if Dad's not available, Grandpa. But that's the factor. Um, it doesn't matter how faithful Mom is, if Dad's not faithful in worship, the kids aren't going to are, are far more likely to not be going to worship later in life. Um, and of course, who does that terrify more than anyone else? Pastors. Because how often do I sit with my kids? You know, that's, however, the, the poll did make that point. Uh, it, this doesn't really cover pastor families um, for, the, for that reason. But yeah, let's go back to Shishak, uh, uh, please. Um, this is him. We have, for, for as powerful as he was, the, the, he was founder of, of a new dynasty in Egypt. We have very few pictures, although, as Egyptian pharaohs go, this is a pretty intact. Rendering of his face, isn't it? Of his head. A lot of Pharaohs, you've got like an eye missing or just half the face or whatever. But uh, 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 Shishak has, to me, kind of a round little boy kind of a face. Um, uh, the, eye, the, the lines around the eyes, what are those? Well, it's eyeliner, but why? It's sunglasses, not glasses. But they wore eyeliner the same way that football or baseball players wear. It's called eye black. The Egyptians lined their eyes with black paint for the same reason. Because in Egypt, you're squinting all the time. So that's what they did. But that's what, it's called the eye of Horus when they put a design around it. But it's basically just eye black. So it's the, it's the ancient version of sunglasses. Um, so on, you'll see on his headdress, he has a serpent that's uh, 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 an asp or something on the, on the front of his uh, mask. But he has the beard, which is indicative that he was a pharaoh. But this is Shishak or Shoshank. Um, not Shoshenk, but Shoshank. Um, so this is the dynasty. Osorkon the elder, uh, is uh, king through quite a bit of, or pharaoh through quite a bit of Solomon's reign. The 21st dynasty has been going on for a while. His son-in-law is Siamun. We talked about him uh, a couple weeks ago. And then there is a a pharaoh with a brief reign. No, not a brief reign, a long reign, 976 about to 943, who is either Susenus II or a combination of a guy named Susenus II and Susenus III. Because there's another guy and they're not sure if it's the same pharaoh or not. So you get... Mixed numbers there, but we don't have a perfect. We don't have all the newspapers from uh, 10th century Egypt intact. Uh, and but that Susenes was a descendant from an earlier line because the line of Osorkon was coming to a close, and this earlier line of pharaohs came in. But that ended the 21st dynasty, and this guy Shishak, who is Osorkon's nephew, starts a whole new dynasty. Um, himself as the dynasty they're kind of intermarried anyway but a new dynasty uh, in 943 roundabout to 922 shortly after our text but this is this shishak um, of scripture all right Um, i guess i have that kind of written on your page for you um, on the on the front page so he came with 1200 chariots and check this out 60,000 charioteers the forces that came with him from Egypt, including Libyans, Sukites, and Cushites, could not be counted. That phrase I'd like you to keep in mind, could not be counted. He captured the four to five cities of Judah and advanced as far as Jerusalem. So he's coming from the south, and as far as means as far north as. But this problem with 60,000 charioteers, commentators really struggle with this. Um, And it does seem like a lot of guys, doesn't it? In the very next chapter, we're going to have a a war of 400,000 versus 800,000 in Israel versus Judah coming up uh, shortly here. But in this raid, 60,000 seems to some commentators to be out of the question. Let me show you what it looks like in Hebrew. So 60,000 is the, the upper uh, uh, Hebrew text is uh, Bishishim Eleph. Can you read that okay? Sure. And I want to make sure I'm on the right, right slide. The, the lower slide says with 6,000, it's from a different passage in Samuel, but it's the same language that says uh, Sheshit Elephim. The the word Eleph in Hebrew, like the beginning of the word elephant, except that's not Hebrew, um, it means thousand. Uh so, 6,000 sheish eleph, or 60,000 sheshim eleph. Okay, so either 6,000 or 60,000. And the problem is this, ele- this, this element that I have highlighted, the, the two identical letters, shin and shin, sheish. Everybody say sheish. She- sheish, that's Hebrew for six. And if you make it a plural, sheshim, that's 60. That's how you do that. okay. Uh, but is it six thousand or sixty thousand? Some think that LF here doesn't mean thousands, but it means units, like a commander would run that many. But then, how many in that unit? Obviously, they think it's less than a thousand, right? So, um, however, what did I tell you to remember from the passage? Could not be counted. And to me, 60,000 is more like an uncountable than 6,000. Um, and my, uh, my uh, understanding of this passage actually comes out of the Battle of Gettysburg. Um, when we were there, uh, when I was, my son was on the history tour, we followed him. And it, anybody familiar with the Battle of Gettysburg? This is 1863, July, what? Uh, first, second, and third. On July 1st, the, the The beginning of the Battle of Gettysburg was between General uh, John Buford and the Confederate uh, general who was coming into Gettysburg to steal their shoes. And Buford was a cavalry officer, and he fought with dismounted cavalry, and that's why the Confederates got fooled. They they didn't realize it was dismounted cavalry they were fighting against, and so there was some movement that they weren't expecting to be able to happen. But what if we use that term here for these charioteers? You've only got 12,000 chariots. So if you have 60,000 charioteers, they're not all needed for the chariots, right? But what if they're dismounted cavalry? That fits the context. It doesn't reject the Hebrew text. It kind of fits everything. So that's my uh, proposal for why you would use the word charioteer, which is their word for cavalry. And sixty thousand, a lot of these guys. And uh, and and the other the other issue is they might use the word charioteer, whereas in another context they might use a word unfamiliar to the Hebrews, which would be camel-mounted warriors, um, because the Africans used camels for for that kind of lightning transport. That in the in the, in, the, in American history would be horse-mounted. But they were from Libya, which is, as you see, to the left of Egypt. Egypt is basically the area around the Nile. Then you have uh, at the bottom the Kushites from, they also called it Nubia and so forth. Today, Kush would be what country? I think it would be northern Ethiopia. We're not quite down to the Sudan yet, but in there somewhere. And then the Sukkites, that's a curious word because Sukkah is the Hebrew word for the tents they used at the Feast of Tabernacles. That's the little, the little huts. So do we have people who are sort of hut dwellers, the Sukites? Is, is it a nation or is it just people that lived out in the desert like nomads or Bedouins? And we're not even sure where they were from, but there were a lot of folks like that who lived on both sides of the Nile, just the, outside the borders of Egypt. They're kind of the borderland folks. So it could have been a lot of these Sukites. They could have been Libyans and they could have been somebody else. Midianites, for example. So the sukites we're not told anything else about them. So anything I have is conjecture. I have another reason for the, for the Egyptian attack. I'm going to suggest a different reason. Let's, let's come to that in a little bit. From something we read earlier, actually, there was, there was a hint in a previous chapter about why this happened, humanly speaking. But let's look at the attack itself. I have a map. So uh, Shishak's advance comes from Egypt. He comes up and he begins to attack the fortified places of, of, of Judah, beginning down here at Beersheba. Remember, if, the, if you overlay Israel and Minnesota because they're the same size, what Minnesota town is equivalent to Beersheba? Well, New Alm, New Alm, yeah. Uh, and then you learned that from a Mankato pastor. I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly, I sat next to him in the class where we learned this. And, uh, and, uh, and then you come northward here uh, uh, and Jerusalem would be the equivalent of something like uh, the Twin Cities or something like that. And then uh, other cities in Judah would be attacked at this point uh, Hebron and so forth, until he gets all the way up to there in Yellow Jerusalem. So I'm 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 proposing that Shishak probably would have taken that magnificent force he had and attacked, maybe may, divided, maybe once or twice, and then and then come back around, basically going after Jerusalem. For and there, there's a reason why he may have gone after uh, 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 Jerusalem. Um. Uh, Let's go to verse 5 here. So Shemaiah the prophet came to Rehoboam. We don't know much about Shemaiah, but he shows up a couple times here. He came to Rehoboam and the officials of Judah who had gathered at Jerusalem because of Shishak. You know, their people are running away. They go to the best fortified place around. And he said to them, this is what the Lord says. You have abandoned me, so now I have abandoned you to the hand of Shishak. So that's God's statement. It's pretty terrifying. And the officials of Israel and the king humbled themselves and said, The Lord is righteous. So, what is this? What would we call it? I think repentance. Yeah. Um, From God's point of view, the attack ends because of the repentance. Um, And let's take a look at, at what happens here. So, the Lord saw that they humbled themselves. And the word of the Lord came to Shemaiah, saying... They have humbled themselves, so I will not destroy them. I will give them deliverance in a little while. My anger will not be poured out on Jerusalem by the hand of Shishak. However, they will become his servants. They will learn what it is to serve me and to serve the kingdoms of the foreign lands. Why would God want them to learn that? That's, that's a ways away yet. But I'm talking about this particular generation. If you abandon me, I'm going to abandon you to this king. So which one do you want? Do you want life under me or do you want life under Shishak? I think that's, the, that's what God is asking them at this point. Is which one are you going to do? Um, so Shishak, verse 9 and 10. Shishak, king of Egypt, came up against Jerusalem. By the way, do you have a problem with him being called king here and not Pharaoh? Is that okay? Do you know where Pharaoh came from? Pharaoh is Hebrew. The Egyptians got the word Pharaoh from the Hebrews. In in the Hebrew of Moses' youth, Paro or Pharaoh meant big house. And it was the nickname that the slaves gave to the king. Oh, he's the guy in the big house. Um, And it stuck. And in Egypt, they kept the name Pharaoh. Although often in Egyptian records, they just use the word malak or king, which is Melech in Hebrew, the king. And often in the Bible, he's just called king. But sometimes you'll see the word pharaoh show up again. Um, And it's just that that other nickname for the particular king of Egypt. Um, The way some other kings are sometimes not just called king, but they might be called by another kingly title like, well, I was thinking Caesar Because of the many ways that Caesar shows up in the languages Caesar, Kaiser, Tsar, it's all the same word. All based on Julius and Augustus Caesar. So it just keeps showing up, though, in other languages. So, Shishak took away the treasures from the house of the Lord. There's, There's the verse, right? He could have taken, well, what could he have taken? The treasures from the house of the Lord. All the gold stuff—it could have been the gold. Uh, I'll call it the wallpaper, right? The gold overlay on the walls of the of the temple. There were there were many golden things, but the 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 candlestick, right? The the uh, the gold uh, table. Um, there uh, the uh, the bronze sea and the and the altar would have been too big, and we know that they didn't get carried away. But other things could have been carried away. But the ark could have been taken away. Or could the, knowing that he was on his way, could the the Israelites have squirreled away the ark into some subterranean room somewhere? Covered it up and hid it? Eh, Maybe. Um, I don't know. But uh, there were many other things that were there that were valuable. So, also the treasures from the house of the king... He took everything, including the gold shields that Solomon had made. Now, the gold shields are what our author is going to focus on in this in this story. That doesn't mean they were the only thing that were taken, but there's a reason he focuses on the gold shields. Um, so we'll, we'll we'll remember what they were. You know, all these shields they were they were kept in the in the arsenal called the Forest of Lebanon. There were there were so many big ones and and three times as many little ones and. It was it was a 200 and 600 or whatever it was? And there were lots and lots of these beautiful golden shields. Shishak took those in particular um, and, and took them away. And a gold shield is not that valuable for military purposes. You know, it's kind of like paper mache As far as stopping an arrow, it's not going to work, right? But it's, they're beautiful and they're valuable, and he, he, he takes them. But it does say he took everything, which obviously is hyperbole. He couldn't take everything. But he took a lot, a lot of valuable stuff. The one thing Shishak did not do, and we learn this from this wall in Egypt, where Shishak records this very campaign in 925, the 18th year of his reign, is he lists all of these cartouches and things are the list of the cities he conquered in different places, mostly on his way through Philistia and uh, and 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 the and the Midianite territories the the uh, the the desert of Zin, and then up into lower Judah, including Beersheba, but the city that isn't on here is Jerusalem. So he didn't capture Jerusalem. Does that fit our text? Well, he plundered Jerusalem but didn't capture it. He doesn't occupy it. he just ripped it off as it were. so he's got a little bit in common with guys like uh what, Billy the Kid and Babyface Nelson, and who are the guys in Medelia? The Jesse James and the Younger Brothers, right? Yeah, so those guys. So he just robs, he doesn't uh, pillage here, or pillages but doesn't occupy. So King Rehoboam made bronze shields in their place. And he entrusted them to the captains of the guard who were keeping watch at the entrance of the king's palace. Whenever the king went to the house of the Lord, the guards would go along and carry the shields. Then they would return them to the guard room. So, all of a sudden, they're treated like the good china. You only get to use it at certain times. Um, I've never found our good china. I know we got it for our wedding. I don't even know where it is. Um, somewhere in my house. Um, I may have to have one of you come over and look for it with me sometime. I don't know. But, um, Remember about two chapters ago, they were describing gold in Solomon's time, how much gold he had and got in revenue every year. Remember how he described the silver? It was so common they didn't even bother to to count it up. What are these shields made out of that they have to replace them with? They're not even silver. They're bronze. I mean, gold, silver, copper, right? That's, That's the order of our coinage. Um, you know, and the bronze is copper and tin mixed. That's what bronze is. But it's... Uh, no, in, uh, remember that Solomon only died five years ago. And before and silver wasn't even valued then. And now they have to use bronze for the decorative shield. So when it says Shishak took everything, I think he really plundered them. He, he took all the stuff. Shishak didn't care about defeating troops. He just robbed them. Um, And uh, now, I don't know if I I actually have a note about this somewhere. I'm just going to ask it now. So Shishak's own record uh, uh, says that this happened in his 18th year. Um, It doesn't include Jerusalem. Why did Shishak have his eyes on Jerusalem? (coughs) Who had lived with Shishak for 20 years? Jeroboam, the king of the northern kingdom. Jeroboam ran away to Shishak, we were told in an earlier chapter, when they were working on Solomon's home, way back then when they were doing the millow, because the text said at that time, which is about halfway through Solomon's reign, Solomon tried to kill Jeroboam because Jeroboam got this Promise from the prophet, you're going to get 10 of the tribes and be king. He ran down to Egypt to Shishak. And now, not long after Solomon is dead, up comes Shishak to plunder all the goods from the other tribes. Solomon doesn't, remember, I, I mean, notice, Shishak never goes into the north, he doesn't attack Jeroboam. He only attacks Rehoboam in the south. And I think it's because he and Jeroboam were in communication. They were basically allies. And he had learned about Solomon's treasures in great detail. He was one of Solomon's executive officers. So he learned about all this stuff from, from Jeroboam. And now he comes and takes it. That's what he had in mind. And why would he want all of the money? To finance everything else he was doing. You know, got a big building project. He's getting up there in years now. Just about time to start building my pyramid. I need about, you know, $25 million for that. Let's go up to Jerusalem and get it. You know, let's make a withdrawal from the bank. We don't have an account, but that doesn't matter. Okay. So, because he humbled himself, the anger of the Lord turned from him. He did not completely destroy them, so conditions were good in Judah. In what way were conditions good in Judah that just went from being one of the wealthiest nations on earth to being, you know, not even having a bank anymore? There were still believers there. They're believers. They're alive. And priests. There's, there, they have peace. They have the temple. Yeah. So there's still some good. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from Saint Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.